0: Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about taming the defensiveness dragon. Jackie was a highly analytical introvert. I learned early in our coaching, she used silence to think. It's not to say she didn't speak up. When she felt strongly about something, the words flew out of her. From our very first conversation, I knew Jackie felt strongly about a direct report of hers named Tate. Tate was, according to Jackie, the most defensive person she had ever met. Not every minute of every day. Not even every day. But when she would attempt to give him feedback, his hackles would go up. He'd interrupt her and say things like, I do have my MBA, you know, or I don't know why I even try. I asked Jackie if she thought Tate's defensiveness might be triggered by her gender or her race. She didn't think so. She told me he displayed the same defensive behaviors in meetings with department heads and chief officers. Recently, during a coaching conversation, she said to me, That's why I'd like to help him. I know he's ambitious, but if he keeps it up, he's going to kill any chance he has at advancing. But how do I give him feedback that he's being defensive? when he'll just get defensive about the fact that, no, he's not being defensive, she thought. Then she said, I tried what you suggested about being vulnerable myself and seeing if that might work as an invitation for him to be vulnerable. I decided to share with him how sometimes I'm not 100% confident when I present to senior leadership. You know what he did? He started telling me how to be confident. He took my vulnerability and used it to make himself the wise man. I was about to rip his head off. What happened, I asked. You would have been proud of me, Tom. I stayed calm. I thanked him. I told him how much I appreciated his suggestions. Because I remembered you and I had talked about being appreciative, right? Make a safe space for him. Don't argue with him. Well, I did my best. Would you try it again, I asked. Being vulnerable? Not eagerly. But I see your point. If I want to build trust with him, I should keep it up. But oh, it's hard, Tom. I feel vulnerable enough already. Like he's a hand grenade and I'm tiptoeing around so I don't set him off. But okay, I'll remember vulnerability. She thought. And then she said, Sometimes I think, I'm embarrassed to admit this, sometimes I think, who cares? Let him screw himself in front of senior leadership. I tried, she thought. She asked, is there no way I can help him? Help him, I asked. What does that mean? Help him to stop sabotaging himself. I may be wrong, but even if he's male and even if he's white, I don't think he can act like that and ever move up. Is there no way I can help him achieve his goals? I said, Jackie, you just answered one of two really important questions to ask when you're trying to manage someone who's defensive. You answered the issue question. What issue are you actually talking about? You're talking about your concern that his defensive behavior may hold him back. Great. That is the issue. Now, once you have the issue clear in your mind... You can be clear with him. Here's what I want to talk about. Short, clear, simple. She thought, then asked, what's the second question? That one, I said, is about intention. You're bringing up this issue even though you know it might upset him. Why? What's your intention? What's your agenda? She asked, I'm asking this of myself? Yes, and just like the issue, you'll tell him what your answer is. After a pause, she said, My intention really is to help him. After a pause, I asked, Have you ever told him either the issue or the intention? You know, that you think he's hurting himself or that you would like to help him? Oh, my goodness, no, she said. We haven't gotten anywhere close to talking about his defensiveness. I can barely tell him to change something on his slides. She laughed at herself. And then she asked, What else can I do besides identifying the issue and telling him my agenda? What else? I smiled at her. I don't think you're going to like this next one. Why not? Because it's about empathy. What you do next is to meet the other person where they are. Align with them. See their point of view from their side. At the moment, I'm not so sure you want to see what Tate is seeing. She smiled, conceding my point. So how do I change that, she asked. How do you move towards empathy, I asked. Yeah. His defensiveness irritates me beyond belief. How am I ever going to get to empathy? I asked, Jackie, why do you imagine he's defensive in the first place? She snorted, I don't know. Maybe his mom didn't breastfeed him long enough. I laughed, and then I asked, Could you make up a story about his need to be defensive that would be sympathetic? Without much sympathy, she said, maybe he got blamed a lot as a kid. I said, so his defensiveness would be rooted in pain. She gave a little grunt like she'd been punched. That's some shift, isn't it? I said, Look, we don't know if that story is true, but to move towards empathy, you have to choose stories that have compassion in them. She thought, then asked, What exactly does that sound like when I'm giving feedback? Can you give feedback with empathy? Hmm, let's see, I answered. So let's suppose you're in a meeting, you see him do something that's super defensive. You think, oh, perfect example of the defensiveness issue. Great opportunity for some feedback. So how might empathy change what you say? I'll tell you what I might try. I might try not starting with what I have to say. I might start with what he has to say. So instead of me telling him anything, I might ask him, Hey, you know, when you said that thing, what were you hoping would happen? And I would begin with him talking. Seriously, she asked, and he's not going to feel like he's walking into a trap? Well, he might, I said. You know, if someone lives in a world where they feel under constant attack, it makes a lot of sense for them to wear armor. Our job, when someone is defensive, is to do whatever we can to make it safe enough for them to let their armor down, even a little Listening is a good tool for lowering armor, she thought. She said, Do you remember telling me how important it was that I not get infected by his defensiveness? I said, That emotions are contagious and his emotions might run hot? Yeah, sure, I remember. She said, Well, that is something I've done well with him. Did I ever tell you the image I used for that? No, I said. She took a breath and smiled at a memory. I was helping out one weekend at a program for troubled girls. I was just a teenager myself, but we were right in there during the sessions. It was great. Before the girls came in for this one exercise, the woman in charge got all us helpers together and she said, you are about to see some serious shit. There are going to be feelings hurled all over this room. They're going to be big and they're going to be strong. Those feelings are not meant for you, but they're coming your way. You have to protect yourself against those feelings or you won't be able to do your jobs. So I want all of you to imagine yourselves standing inside a little nylon tent. You're encased, zipped up like a cocoon. Your tent protects you from everything that's flying around. There's a little porthole so you can look out, but nothing can touch you. And you know what, Tom? What she told us worked. That room was like a tornado for a while, but I sailed through it. It was magical, like a superpower. That tent helps me with Tate, too. He's getting all agitated, but I'm not. She thought. She said, Before, you used that example of me giving him feedback about something he said in a meeting. Well, I would bet my house that even if I got it word for word, he'd say it was something else. We get in those arguments about what happened all the time. Why does it matter, I asked. Why does what happened matter? Because I'm trying to make a point about something he said. But if he won't even admit what he said, how do I ever make my point? Speak for yourself, I said. That's an actual technique you can use. That's its name. Speak for yourself. You tell him your experience. Just because his version is different from yours, it doesn't wipe yours out. You say this is what I heard. Maybe nobody else heard it, but I did. And here's how I worry it makes you look. She said, I would love to be able to talk like that. I have a friend who talks like that. Speak for yourself, huh? Okay, I'm going to work on that. And then she asked, do you think coaching could help him? I said, maybe. Defensiveness would almost certainly show up in the coaching, so... Yeah, it might, but I've coached defensive people where their armor never really came down, at least not with me. She said, I hope I can do better than that with Tate. Jackie began to employ all those tools when working with Tate. When she shared her core issue and her intention with him, she felt the next few minutes were significantly better. And then it was gone. Tate snapped back to his old norm, but she had seen the needle move. To me, those few minutes indicated that her use of the tools was a solid display of the look and sound of leadership. This episode grew out of my experience coaching a woman named Esme. Esme was pursuing a promotion to chief officer. Her CEO gave her a coach to help her compete for the role. The CEO was rooting for her. When I asked him for his feedback about Esme, he said, She can be super defensive, and that's not going to go over well with the board. If she can't get over it, she won't get the job. The word defensiveness also showed up a couple of times in her 360. People felt it was important enough to note it down, and so I asked her about it. Esme insisted it simply wasn't true. She was not defensive, she said, which I, of course, saw as an example of her being defensive. I began to think about Esme's coaching as being primarily about defensiveness, and so I started watching what worked, and I learned a lot, and those learnings are at the heart of this episode. In the episode, I laid out a lot of tools. There's two questions to ask yourself. There's six ways to self-manage yourself. It felt like a lot, and so we created a new infographic for you. The link is in the show notes. Please help yourself. I really hope you can use these tools. In this part of the show, I want to zero in on two small moments from the episode. I think they went by pretty fast, but they're connected to big concepts. So here we go. The first concept I want to call Align. The need to align is critical. If someone in your life can be super defensive and if you want to defuse that defensiveness, aligning with that person is one of the strongest tools you have. I think this just makes logical sense, right? Think about what's the opposite of alignment. What might it be? I think it's argument, right? You're arguing with the person or you're aligning with the person. If I'm a highly defensive person, Arguments are going to agitate me, and most likely I'm prone to hearing arguments even when they don't exist, right? So I'm tuned for arguments, which means that those of us who want to quiet the fire, we have to really show that we are genuinely not arguing. We have to show alignment. I talked about a lot of different ways to align with people. I want to mention some of them here and call them out so you can think you can use any of these or all of these. One I mentioned was empathy. So really, like, what does that even mean? How do you display empathy? One really powerful way to display empathy is simply getting comfortable with silence. Silence. I intentionally wrote Jackie in this episode as an introverted thinker. I don't know if you noticed how many times I said the word she thought. I wanted to embed that in here because what it also means is I did not speak. If you want to show empathy, be quiet. Be comfortable in silence. You know, it's possible that someone who's highly defensive might hear your words no matter how considerate they are. And hear them as an attack. And if they feel attacked, their armor's going to go up. But our goal is to get them to get their armor down, right? You being comfortable in silence, not reacting, not immediately lobbing a challenge their way, that can help someone's armor come down. Another way to align, listening. Listening is different from being comfortable with silence, right? It's not the same at all. When you use listening to show you're aligned, then you can actually... Use their language with them, not ironically, right, but as a sign of alignment that you have truly heard them, that you're giving their words respect and weight. You're not agreeing. You're acknowledging. When I was coaching Esme, I felt like I was going to have to listen to her for a long time before I had aligned enough for her to trust me. And when I say a long time, I mean I was envisioning multiple sessions, hours and hours of listening as a way of making deposits into her alignment bank account. And I did it. I listened to Esme for months as a way of aligning with her. Another way to align, actively think about the other person's psychological safety. Now, I really loved it when Jackie worried that Tate might misinterpret her invitation to share his thinking for a trap. Yes, That's a good worry. Defensive people do that. They see traps where none may exist. So we need to focus on creating safety for them. To create safety with Esme, I'll tell you what I did. I got super vigilant about not ever sounding as if I was ever arguing with her. I did not want to sound like I was trying to convince her of something. I didn't want to sound like I was trying to teach her something. I didn't want to imply she didn't know something. I wanted her to sense that I was truly. On her side, which meant she was safe with me, which meant I could then talk to her from that perspective. Alignment, not argument. You know, there's a way that you can misalign with someone, and that's the story that you tell yourself about that defensive person. Let's be honest, I find defensive people uncomfortable to be around. I, I think, in general, they stir us up. When we have to be around them because of whatever circumstances, we tell ourselves stories to help ourselves be a little more comfortable in this uncomfortable situation, right? We make up stories about each other as a coping mechanism. Stories are a form of defense, defensiveness. In my experience, (laughs) when someone is annoying you, it's hard to choose a sympathetic story, It's hard to be empathic with someone who's annoying you. But don't get hijacked. You be your best self. Find a story with empathy. In the episode, the thought that had a lot of weight for Jackie about this was when I suggested that his defensiveness was rooted in pain. That impacted her. It helped her move to empathy. There's another way to say this. Examine your story about the other person. Are you assuming good intent? Assume good intent of the defensive person. Alignment is way easier when you assume good intent. So that was all about alignment. What's the point? If you can align with someone who's defensive, what you say, your communications are more likely to be received by them. You're more likely to get heard. You'll be able to make agreements. You'll be able to revisit those agreements. Alignment helps. So that was the first idea. The second idea is about speak for yourself. Oh, speak for yourself. I am excited to share three thoughts with you right after this month's gratitude. I want to start this month with gratitude to my fellow coaches. You know, over the years, I have always been so honored and, frankly, a little surprised to find out how many coaches listen to the show. I am always thrilled to be in touch with you. Thank you so much for listening. For you coaches, I want to mention something that I haven't mentioned in probably more than a year. It is the Executive Coaching Special Interest Group that is sponsored by the Los Angeles chapter of ICF. Our LA chapter has become a global leader in offering online CEU events, and this is one of them. This special interest group, we're now in our seventh year. We meet six times a year. It's really great. It's fun. We learn from each other. There's a link in the show notes if you want to go check it out, or send me an email. I'd love to tell you about it. I'd love to see you there. That's number one. Number two is a shout-out to Kim Scott and Amy Gallo, who are Kim Scott and Amy Gallo. Kim Scott wrote the book Radical Candor. It is a book that I know many of you love. Kim Scott is all about tools for handling people who are hard to handle. She wrote an online really friendly guide for handling defensive employees, and her ideas are a great compliment to this episode. That's who Kim Scott is. Who's Amy Gallo? If you read Harvard Business Review, you read Amy Gallo. She is another guru around handling people who are hard to handle. Amy Gallo has been on Dave Stahoviak's Coaching for Leaders podcast three times, but one that they talked about specifically was about dealing with passive-aggressive people. They were, again, really complimentary ideas to this episode, and plus Amy is just really fun to listen to. She has great tips and tools. I've put links to Kim Scott's guide and to Dave's conversation with Amy Gallo in the show notes. They are also on our homepage, and they are also links in our monthly email. Our monthly email always, of course, has a link to the show, but it also has links to resources that are going to support that month's episode. There's a link. In the show notes for you to sign up for the email, we'd love to have you on the list. Gratitude this month to reviewers. I was listening to a new series recently, and I was really struck by how many ads they had. And on the one hand, you know, this is my fellow podcaster. I'm cheering, going like, good for you, go for it. And on the other hand, it makes me reconsider my choice to remain ad-free. In my mind... A steady stream of reviews from all of you is a great trade-off for staying ad-free. So thank you this month, from Thailand, Thai French, from the U.S., A. McGuire, Step Dance Girl, David Lanchart, and once again, Todd Thompson. I really appreciate all the support from all of you who've ever posted reviews, and I know there's a lot of you, and those of you who continue to do it and do it again. Thank you. The second idea I'm going to zoom in on. Speak for yourself. Do you remember in the episode when I modeled it for Jackie and she said, oh, I wish I could talk like that. I have a friend who talks like that. Well, those were my words many years ago. I said exactly that. I had a friend who spoke for herself so comfortably, I always wanted to sound like her. Also, over the years, I have heard speak for yourself from my therapist. I've talked about Robin before. She and I have been working together more than 20 years now. Both of these women have helped me learn how to use the tool Speak for Yourself. Now that I can do it, I have found, especially with people who are defensive, that speaking for yourself gets you past a lot of defenses pretty quickly. Do you remember Jackie said, Okay, speak for yourself. I got it. I'll work on it. Well, I completely skipped over how would you work on it. So I want to talk about that. First, let's define it. Speaking for yourself. What is it? Speaking for yourself is a way of speaking that accurately represents facts and feelings. Speaking for yourself is a way of speaking that takes full responsibility for what is spoken. People who speak for themselves often are described as authentic. That's speak for yourself. If you'd like to speak for yourself, I would suggest that you work on strengthening three parts of yourself. Deserving, accuracy, and kindness. Let me start with deserving. If you're going to speak for yourself, you're choosing to be visible. You are stepping onto a stage and speaking to all assembled. It is bold to speak for yourself. In order to be bold, you need to believe that you deserve to be on that stage. You need to believe that you deserve the spotlight. You deserve to be heard. Your words deserve to be taken seriously. Not agreed with necessarily, but certainly given respect. I'm not talking about arrogance here, right? I mean, quite the contrary. I am talking about a deep capacity to accept and forgive others and yourself. (laughs) Because not every word on that stage that you speak is going to be perfect. But you still deserve to be on the stage, and your words still deserve to be heard. And by the way, not every word that you speak on that stage is going to get you the outcome you want. But you still deserve to be on the stage, and your words still deserve to be heard. Deserving can be a really hard nut to crack. If you want to develop your deserving muscle, the first place I would send you would be the four agreements. I know many of you already know this book. It is a classic for a reason. The four agreements are simple, they are profound, and they move you towards acceptance. So speak for yourself, deserving. Now, speak for yourself, accuracy. Do you remember when Jackie said she and Tate could never agree on what exactly God said, and I said, what does it matter? When you speak for yourself, you are speaking for yourself, your experience. You had an experience and you're going to report it. And your experience is valid. The other person might want to argue about what happened. I want to say don't engage there. Accept that they heard what they heard. They don't have to agree with you. And you heard what you heard. And the caution here is to be accurate. Don't exaggerate to make your case. Don't make a case. Just be accurate. Report what you heard. Report what you thought. And report what you felt. And here's how it might sound. So pretend I'm Jackie talking to Tate. It might sound as simple as this Tate, I got concerned when you raised your voice with Marsha. I want her to be your biggest fan. That's it. I'm reporting what I heard. I'm reporting what I thought. I'm reporting what I felt. It's meant to be neutral. I'm speaking for myself, I'm going on the record. I am not in the well of a courtroom trying to make a case, right? I'm just being accurate. Someone said something to me recently that really caught my ear. She said, gaslighters, right before they do something really hurtful, they always say, this is for your own good. Gaslighters make an argument for honesty, right? They have to be honest. That is not accuracy. When you speak for yourself, accuracy is tied to the third piece, which is kindness. Kindness means not trying to win, not making it a competition. You're speaking for yourself in the hopes that the defensive person will lower their armor a little. If any part of you is trying to win, they're not going to let their armor down, right? Why would they? The problem is, I think for many of us, growing up, kindness is a learned response. It's not our go-to response. When we're upset, (laughs) frankly, I think kindness goes a long way from being our first thought or our second or third, right? When we're annoyed with people and defensive people can be very annoying, I think we have to choose kindness. So how can you help yourself make that choice? When you speak for yourself, You accept the responsibility that goes along with it. You are aware. Words are weapons. Words wound people. So to speak for yourself, remember to bear your weapon responsibly. Remembering that helps you to be kind. Being kind also makes us slow down, which gives you time to listen. And be comfortable in silent, which loops to alignment. There are lots of tools. I want to remind you, all the links, all the resources are in the show notes. If you want to dig deeper, you can look in the archive on the Essential Communications website. You can also sign up for the email there. This episode is tagged in three categories, right? Communication skills, management skills, and relationship building. Five episodes you might listen to are 7 Steps to Stop Emotional Hijacks, And those would be your emotional hijacks in the face of someone who's defensive. Be impeccable with your word, which is an echo from the Four Agreements. Another episode called Handling Defensive Behaviors, Managing Bad Behavior, Managing Disruptive Executives. They're all linked in the show notes. Please help yourself to that and all our other resources. That's it for me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.